0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Berlin Policy Journal podcast. I'm Henning Hoff, Executive Editor. These last four weeks have been strange and unsettling for all of us. The coronavirus pandemic has swept across Europe, making it its epicenter and putting most of the continent into lockdown. Movement restrictions and social distancing measures are in place almost everywhere and most of us are working from home. Beyond the immediate concerns of flattening the curve of infections and deaths, and of finding antidotes and vaccines, there have been two questions on Europeans' minds in particular. When will the measures that have brought so many economies to a standstill be loosened again? And what is the best way to fight the economic crisis the pandemic has caused? The EU and its member states have certainly mobilized a lot of money already. Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, stressed its huge dimensions in recent remarks.
1: To date, The European Union, that is the European institutions and member states have mobilized 2,770 billion euros. And this is the largest answer to a European crisis ever
2: given.
0: But will it be enough? To explore Europe's economic response, we spoke with Marcel Fracher, the president of the German Institute for Economic Research, or DIW Berlin. He is one of Germany's leading economists and also teaches macroeconomics at Berlin's Humboldt University. Like all of our guests in this episode, he joined us remotely. Professor Fratja, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. The uh, coronavirus pandemic has hit Europe arguably harder than the financial and subsequent Eurozone crisis of 2008 and after. Could you describe the dimensions of the current situation?
3: it 's very difficult to get a good grip on the economic dimension. What happens to on the medical side, we know or we know a lot, but uh, in terms of the economic impacts, we are completely in the dark. There's no chance to do any reliable forecast or projection. It's very hard to understand that. Um, we get a lot of questions so how deep will the crisis be, how many percentage points will the economy shrink and the truth is that our economic models have no way of predicting what may happen uh, how long it will take for the virus to be contained uh, when the economy can start up again uh, how many countries will be affected how the economy will recover and so there's so much uncertainty that it could be anything between -2% and -20% that the german economy and similarly the euro area economy will shrink in 2020 alone. That makes it so hard because we simply don't know what will happen. We can only do scenario analysis. So what-if statements, that's what we are focusing on
0: at the moment. Could you be more specific about the situation in Germany, though, or or is it just, just impossible to make any sort of solid estimates right now? What we as economists
3: try to separate is essentially three different scenarios. An optimistic scenario, we call it a V-shaped scenario, so think of the letter V, a very sharp decline, probably around 20% in the second quarter alone, maybe 15%, we don't know, and then a sharp recovery. That's the scenario we had after the global financial crisis. The German economy suffered a lot in early 2009, at the end of 2008, but then basically recovered very quickly in 2010 and 2011, mainly because China and Asia was booming and Germany could export itself out of the crisis. That's the optimistic scenario. The probably more realistic scenario is a U-shaped scenario. So there is a very sharp decline that we are seeing now in the second quarter. Probably it will take some time for the recovery to take hold and to to gain speed, maybe through twenty twenty one so next year' sometime that we could reach again the level uh, we have seen before the crisis and then there is the pessimistic scenario we call it an l shaped so think about a very sharp decline and then it stays the economy stays at a much lower level for a considerable period of time, that's basically the Italy scenario after the last global financial crisis. So this is not all that unlikely. The bad news about this is which scenario we get in partly depends on factors that are outside human control, namely how long it will take for the virus to be contained will there be a second wave or a third or a fourth wave that the virus comes back but the good news is economic policy can do a lot to try and push the economy more towards a u-shaped or even a v-shaped Um, So, economic policy uh, is influential and needs to act
0: decisively. Mm. Let's let's look at uh, economic policy. I mean, EU member states, the EU itself and the European Central Bank have already announced a number of measures to counter the economic crisis. In your view, what works and what doesn't and what's missing?
3: So far, the European Central Bank has been acting very decisively, helping banks to continue giving loans to companies. That's a necessary but not a sufficient condition for the euro-area economy, the European economy, to get through this crisis. What's really missing, and I think the, the biggest policy mistake that has been done in the crisis, is the lack of a common joint European response. Now, slowly, the European Commission is proposing measures such as an unemployment scheme, uh, which is good. Um, The big fight in Europe at the moment is over so-called Corona bonds, Euro bonds. In Germany, that's a red flag. People don't like to hear about uh, joining or having joint liabilities or joint um, responsibility for debt among different European or Euro-area countries. But I think what's really lacking at the moment is a decisive fiscal policy response at the European level, essentially with the goal that the German government has acted decisively, has agreed on a big package. The goal must be that every European country, including the most affected countries such as Italy and Spain, are able to implement such a big package to rescue companies, avoid bankruptcies and avoid a big increase in unemployment. That must be the goal and uh, we are still quite far away from it.
0: Mm. We are speaking just after the first round of talks among the Eurogroup, finance ministers has brought no tangible results and negotiations continue. So what would be in your view the best way to provide Italy and Spain with this kind of monies which are, are needed?
3: There are different options under discussion. and I, I must say the German government is moving in the right direction. So this is a very different discussion we are having currently in Germany as compared to 2012 or 2015 when the, the euro area crisis was hitting Europe very hard and where there was an adamant opposition from Germany to do too much on the fiscal front. Now this is different. Um, so I see an agreement coming up on... The ESM, this is the European Rescue Mechanism, giving out loans to the weaker countries. I see an agreement from the European Commission on this unemployment insurance to help or prevent a sharp increase in unemployment. But the big issue are so-called eurobonds or corona bonds. So basically a long-run financing for rebuilding the European economy. And this is the sticking point at the moment. I hope we can move away from ideological thinking and and positioning, but there are solutions like a, a common fund that finances in the long run a rebuilding of the European economy, and I hope the governments will agree on that. So, But we are not there yet. Mm.
0: As you say, the sound is completely different, um, looking back to the, the previous crisis, and even a lot of German economists who used to be dead against Eurobonds are now sort of changing their positions. Um, but I take it you're not expecting euro bonds to come any time soon?
3: I'm skeptical. I don't think we will have euro bonds or corona bonds. So the difference is that corona bonds are only one-off. Uh, so not perpetually issued every year, but a one-off financing to help uh, Europe rebuild e- its economy. There are solutions, but but as you said, there is a big shift also in the thinking in Germany, which makes me hopeful. Uh, eight years ago, the big majority of German economists was dead set against uh, eurobonds. Now the big majority is saying, look, uh, now we ha- don't have another option. We need to uh, go into joint liability and and joint. Uh, guarantees uh, now is not the time to haggle over who's guaranteeing whom. Uh, we Germans must understand: yes, uh, we have more room to maneuver and and uh, protect the German economy. But if Italy has a sovereign debt crisis and an economic depression, that's not just the problem of Italy, but it's also the problem of Germany. So I think uh, there is a change of thinking, and my hope is: yes, we might not get eurobonds, but we might get something that is close enough to be effective mm. and help Europe.
0: Would you think it's realistic though, for Europe to come stronger out of this? You are someone who's continuously pointed out to the left behind, in the German economy in particular, that there's a widening gap of income, for instance. Is this a chance also to set these things right?
3: Yeah, this is an interesting point. Usually, over the past few centuries, what we have seen is whenever wars or pandemics occurred, inequality was reduced. So wealth was destroyed, and um, societies came out more equal. This time around, this may be the opposite. You know, if you look at who will lose their jobs, it's mostly people with lower incomes, with lower qualifications, people who are less flexible, who have a harder time also finding new jobs. Um, So I think the big worry is that we will see the weakest members of society being hit the hardest. That's a pessimistic and negative perspective, I also have the hope that policymakers, companies will use uh, this crisis as an opportunity to to upgrade, to modernize the economy. Think about um, sustainability, climate protection. Many car manufacturers know they have to move towards alternative uh, types of engines, uh, particular electric engines. That's an opportunity to speed up that process. The German government will have to agree on a big fiscal stimulus program also after this first phase of a crisis. That's a big opportunity to invest in digitalization, in education, in innovation in climate protection, as I said. So there are also opportunities and uh, I want to be optimistic and I hope uh, that governments will also use that in this sense.
0: Professor Fatscher, thank you very much. My pleasure. With everyone focused on fighting the pandemic, it's easy to forget that some crises at Europe's borders are continuing, virus or no virus. Indeed, the situation of refugees and migrants trapped at the Greek-Turkish border and on Greek islands has been made worse by the pandemic. Chiara Torman works with refugees on the Greek island of Samos as a translator for the medical NGO MediQuality. She us her impressions of the situation refugees find themselves in.
1: Luckily, currently, there are no COVID-19 cases on Samos, but due to the situation in the rest of Greece, also Samos has been on lockdown since March 23rd. The general situation on Samos and on the other Aegean Islands has been very, very bad for a long time. There are currently around 7,000 refugees on Samos. They live in a camp with a capacity of about 650 people. Part of the vulnerable people live in official containers from UNHCR and the rest of the people live in tents in the so-called jungle that was built around the camp. To get food, refugees, they have to go to the food lines. Realistically, it takes around four hours of queuing to get a meal. Water bottles are only handed to them at the breakfast line. Otherwise, they can fill their water bottles at water taps that have been installed by doctors without Borders. At the moment, everywhere we can read things about what we can do to prevent getting infected with COVID-19. People tell us to wash hands with soap and alcohol, stay at home, avoid crowds and do social distancing. And these are just all things that are impossible for the people in the camp to do. Currently also nobody wants to imagine what actually will happen if Covid or when Covid reaches the camps. We see the first cases in two camps on the Greek mainland, so people are really scared. And at the moment the whole world is focusing on Corona, so the refugees are very scared that people will forget about them. And unfortunately, they are not wrong when we see the lack of action from the EU at this point in time. The only way to contain this horrible scenario and actually protect people's lives on the islands is to evacuate the island immediately, because at this point, we are just running out of time.
0: How did the situation become so dire and what can be done about it? For some answers, we turn to Mona Lugunovic. Who works with the German Council on Foreign Relations or DGRP's migration program? The DGRP is also our publisher. I started by asking her what led to the escalation at the Greek Turkish border.
2: Well, the uh, situation at the Greek-Turkish border escalated in the end of February. The Turkish president, Erdogan, had already for some months uh, threatened to open the gates towards Europe, and in the end of February, he finally decided to do it. So he stopped controlling the Greek-Turkish border at the Turkish site and um, built up some pressure on the Greek border because he wanted to... Pressure the EU leadership into making some concessions?
0: What kind of concessions?
2: Well, there were three things mainly on Erdogan's wish list. Uh, firstly, money. He wanted to have more financial support for accommodating Syrian refugees in Turkey. Then secondly, um, some kind of non-financial burden-sharing with regards to the refugee situation, which means that he probably wanted Europe to take in more refugees from Turkey itself to resettle people. And then thirdly, he also hoped for some kind of at least political support for Turkey's actions in northern Syria.
0: Greece and the EU have pretty much um, executed a fortress Europe policy in response, stopping refugees from entering EU territory. Is this, in your opinion, the right way for the EU to react?
2: Border protection is not something illegitimate. There were a lot of signs that there was a will on the Greek side to really take drastic measures and to also use violent means to protect the Greek border. And here there's a clear question of proportionality where we can say that the reaction was really very harsh and very tough on the people who made their way to the border.
0: And how far has this sort of impacted on the situation of refugees who are already in Greece on the Greek islands? Has there been some sort of repercussions or is it a separate issue altogether?
2: Well, the situation of the people on the Greek islands has been dire for years, so it's not really um, a secret. The thing is that the pressure that Turkey built up on Europe led to renewed attention at least for a moment on the situation on the Greek islands, and that is why this emergency relocation of children was agreed upon. So there was a little step to um, improve the situation on the Greek islands, but overall the situation of people in Greece remains difficult and Greece also remains overburdened by the current refugee situation. And um, that is also why, yes, there was a lot of support from the EU side on the Greek harsh border reaction, but there's much less willingness from other EU member states to really um, help out Greece in this situation and to resettle people from Greece.
0: You mentioned um, German Interior Minister Horst Seehofer has announced to accept 50 unaccompanied minors among the refugees presently in camps on the Greek islands. Why is it so difficult to organize a larger evacuation at a time when European states are able to repatriate thousands of holidaymakers all
2: around the world? There's two dimensions to it. Firstly, um, on the practical level, of course, this evacuation mechanism has now to be carried out in the light of the coronavirus situation. So a point can be made that the practicalities are more difficult because people will have to be quarantined when they arrive in Germany. But that is, in my opinion, a minor issue. The real question behind it is the political will and the fear that any kind of positive signal towards resettling refugees from Greece or other areas will create some kind of pull effect, and that because people somewhere in Turkey will then have heard that people in Greece are now being resettled to Germany or other European states, they will continue to go to the Greek islands and to try to reach Greece because they see a chance to then make the way further to Germany.
0: What, in your view, would be the one step to get to a solution in this? Would it be another negotiation with Turkey or or what is the key to this situation?
2: Yeah, ironically, actually, the, um, the health crisis has turned the Turkish blackmail attempt upside down in a way because after having threatened for so long to open the borders, when Turkey finally did that, two weeks later, they had to close the borders again because um, they wanted to stop the spread of the virus. And also by now, most of the refugees that had been camping at the Greek-Turkish border and who were the Turkish lever to build up pressure on Europe have now been evacuated again by Turkey in order to prevent the spread of the virus in these camps at the border. So those people have now been evacuated and quarantined in um, accommodation centers all over Turkey and the immediate pressure is off the Greek-Turkish uh, border. But in the long run, it is in the interest of the EU to um, renew the agreement with Turkey on cooperating on migration and refugee issues.
0: Oh no! thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all for this edition of the Berlin Policy Journal podcast. Thanks to my editorial colleagues, Sivan Dowling and Noah Gordon and to our producer, Susan Stone. Join us again in May. Our next episode will focus in more detail on Europe's responses to the coronavirus pandemic and where we go from here. Until then, goodbye. Thanks for listening and be well.